the podcast of the ASA Biopharmaceutical Section. I am Christina Nurse, and Amy Lalone and I are your hosts for this podcast. Remember, the views shared during this podcast are not the views of Eli Lilly, Takeda Pharmaceuticals, the U.S. Census Bureau, or Bristol Myers Squibb. We're coming back to a topic discussed previously in our interview with Elizabeth Manshart, the former chair of the ASA Committee on Career Development, or the CCD. Imposter syndrome is a feeling that we aren't as competent or intelligent as others might think, or we are somehow undeserving of the praise and accomplishments that we earn. To revisit this conversation, we sought out two esteemed and accomplished statisticians who have a multitude of experience in our field to give us a little bit more about imposter syndrome. We'll start with Dr. Wendy Martinez. She is a senior mathematical statistician for data science at the U.S. Census Bureau and also former president of the American Statistical Association. And she is someone that I admire as she is truly gracious and investing her knowledge to help prepare future statisticians. So Wendy, can you tell us a bit more about yourself as a person and as it pertains to your career as a statistician? Yes, thank you, Christina. Um, Thank you for the uh, wonderful introduction and for giving me the opportunity to be part of this um, important discussion. So I don't know if it's a symptom of imposter syndrome or not, but I have to say that I'm always really uncomfortable talking about myself during these introductions. <laughs> and I always feel like I'm, uh, you know, messing up, but uh, maybe it's because I don't feel like I'm worth talking about, which I guess it definitely is a symptom of imposter syndrome. Um, I want to share uh, just a bit about my um, educational journey uh, because I think it provides uh, more about my personal life and then uh, how I became a statistician. Uh, So there are four siblings in my family, uh, two boys and two girls uh, with the the two girls in the middle. Uh, I'm the second oldest. Uh, My parents pretty much, you know, throughout our childhood uh, told us that we were going to go to college. That was the, you know, the expectation. Uh, However, it was understood, uh, at least in my own mind, uh, that my older brother would get support, you know, financial support from my parents, but not necessarily the rest of us, uh, especially the girls. So I sort of felt like, you know, I was on my own um, to finance my own uh, uh, school, uh, post high school. Uh, So I joined the Army uh, at that time in part to get financial support for my bachelor's degree. And this was during the time of the um, original GI Bill. Uh, I hate to kind of say how old I am, but this was kind of during the the Vietnam era. Well, kind of later in the Vietnam era. But but what was good was it essentially paid for uh, my undergraduate degree. Now, as an undergraduate, I really wanted to be an engineer, uh, but I ended up uh, taking classes at a liberal arts school. Uh, They did not have an engineering program. uh, And so I thought a double major in math and physics would be Uh, the next best thing or closest to engineering. So once I get my undergraduate degree, I applied for and got a graduate research fellowship at NASA Langley Research Center. 
Now, besides wanting to be an engineer, I really always wanted to be an astronaut. So going to NASA was really exciting. Uh, I didn't become an astronaut, but I did finally get a degree in engineering. After I finished my master's uh, work, I started uh, working at the Naval Surface Warfare Center in Dahlgren, Virginia. My office mate told me about a new PhD program at George Mason University in essentially computational statistics, which was a precursor, I think, to data science. At that point, I had two teenage children and was working full time. Uh, I had really good support from my employer and was able to uh, finish and get my PhD. So I, I'm kind of bringing this up because uh, I had a very different, at least in my mind, educational career path. And one that some might say is, you know, was non-traditional or non-normal for someone with a graduate degree uh, or a statistician. But, you know, we can't really, uh, we shouldn't always judge ourselves compared to others. And really, what can one say what a normal path is? You know, we're all on a path and that, that's the path we're on and that's normal for us. That's such an important perspective, Wendy. Um, this is our first time getting to know each other and I, I didn't know your background. That's fascinating. And I'm very impressed by your tenacity. Um, but as Christina mentioned, we have two esteemed statisticians today on our podcast. And our next is Dr. Adrian Coles. So I know a little bit more about Adrian because I have had the privilege to get to know him during his time at Eli Lilly. We worked in different therapeutic areas. So I did not work with him on a regular basis. But I will say this, whenever he presented in our technical forums, his work is clear, his message is clear, he's understandable, impactful, and whenever he uh, participated in seminars, he asked the most important thought-provoking questions that really encouraged scientific thinking and encouraged uh, more from his, his colleagues. His leadership style is calm, clear, empathetic, which I was lucky enough to experience in a DEI group that he oversaw. Adrian, I'm very impressed by your background from what I have seen, but would you mind telling the audience a little bit more about yourself, again, both your career and whatever you're willing to share about your life outside of work? Uh, well, first of all, Amy, thank you for that, that wonderful introduction. And uh, I didn't know that, you know, during the times that we were working together that whatever I was doing was having an impact or made that type of impression. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, and oddly enough, you know, sharing those, those points of feedback with one another is one way that we can help our colleagues sort of overcome imposter syndrome. Um, but as it relates to my background, I am a Marine turned statistician turned drug developer. Uh, professionally, I am a director of biostatistics at Bristol Myers Squibb. And my journey here has, has been uh, really, <laughs> well, most people would describe as non-traditional, similar to what Wendy just shared. I mean, if you just ask yourself, how many other Marines do you know in our discipline, right? I didn't know Wendy was in the military at one point, so I'm very excited to learn that today as well. But I can tell you that there are very few of us um, outside of drug development. I'm very passionate about creating pathways into our discipline for people from historically underrepresented communities, and then providing meaningful support to those persons once they choose what we do as their career path. Fingers crossed, right? We hope that they make this choice. <laughs> um, so a good part of my life outside of work is spent serving in um, various professional service roles for the American Statistical Association's Committee on Minorities and Statistics, 
uh, its anti-racism task force. Um, now the biofarm section, as well as ENARS, uh, Recom, just to name a few. Uh, so I'm very active, very passionate about what I do. And, uh, and so I enjoy helping people. So I'm very honored to be able to participate in this conversation today. Thanks, Adrian. We so appreciate everything you do. So let's start with our first question to both of our panelists. Do you consider yourself an imposter or to have imposter syndrome? And if so, what symptoms do you recognize most in yourself? Wendy? Thank you. Uh, yes, I very much do consider myself to be an imposter or to have imposter syndrome. I, I never really knew what it was until uh, several years ago. And I think when I, I talked more and became uh, closer to Elizabeth Mansard, who you mentioned earlier, where she uh, kind of, I guess, had some classes on it and I learned uh, more about it. Uh, and one of the things is I often feel that someone's going to take a closer look at my dissertation research and then take my PhD away. Uh, people do say um, kind and nice things about me, which I very much appreciate, but I often don't feel like they're true. So I have a hard time um, kind of just believing them. Uh, I just feel fake or false, like I don't measure up to what people want uh, and never could. Uh, also, I, I very often mentally chastise myself after an event, uh, like a talk or a meeting, because I, I don't think I did a good job or maybe said something wrong. So I'll, I'll kind of go back and think about what I said and, and think, wow, that was really you know something dumb or whatever that I said. And so I'm going to really have to try very hard not to do that uh, after this podcast. So hopefully nothing I say is going to be, is going to be um, wrong or dumb, <laughs> put it that way. And what about you, Adrian? You know, I think that's a good question. Um, do I consider myself to have imposter syndrome now? Um, not at this moment, uh, but I have had imposter syndrome before. Um, I've certainly had many thoughts and feelings that are associated with this phenomenon. Um, so in my past, I've had symptoms such as anxiety, um, self-doubt, a lack of confidence in my work, um, poor time management due to excessive reviewing and QC of my work and my responsibilities. Um, a lack of confidence around my peers and my collaborators. You know, these symptoms even, you know, impacted my sleep quality. I had difficulty sleeping, you know, at various seasons throughout my career. Um, and much of this, much of this was really driven by the fact that um, I didn't believe that I belonged in the rooms, in the spaces in which I found myself. Um, and, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think many people struggle with this and, and maybe just us sort of laying out some of the symptoms that we've experienced that were associated with this um, condition may be helpful in them sort of identifying what they may be going through as well. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your experiences, Adrian and Wendy. 
I will say that I experience a lot of the same symptoms in terms of the self-doubt and wondering if someone's going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here. And like, even when I got my promotion at work, I was like, me, are you sure? You know, and then just even thinking about it, it's like, you've been doing this job. You've been doing the job of your promotion for months now. Like you deserve this promotion, right? So it's just this constant feeling of feeling that for me, it was feeling that I'm not good enough. And at times um, it comes through as I'm not deserving. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Christina. We're at such um, similar stages in our career that it it's helpful to hear what other people experience. I know for me, um, maybe I'm a bit more like Adrian, where imposter syndrome, it kind of comes on in waves, like in a particular situation, um, I may feel very unprepared. And I, I think this is tied up with a, a lot of what is common among people who experience imposter syndrome. And it's it's this type A personality, this desire to perfect everything because any kind of flaw or any kind of misunderstanding or, or under preparation is going to reveal that you are somehow unequipped. Uh, however, I think that it's taken time and accepting um, each situation and learning from each situation to build the confidence to allow those peaks and troughs in your imposter syndrome to kind of level out because it's, we're always going to be faced with something new that we don't really know. And that's kind of the fun in our jobs Um, and making sure that you uh, tackle new situations, both, you know, at our, our workplace and, and in life um, with some more acceptance, but that doesn't mean any one of us are perfect. (laughs) So it's certainly a journey. So I, I do appreciate that. So I was hoping we could uh, talk a little bit more about how experiencing imposter syndrome has increased or decreased um, throughout your own career, Wendy, as you have maybe moved into different positions or higher positions, like Christina was sharing, um, as you gain more responsibility or leadership, do you feel that your relationship with your imposter syndrome has changed? Yeah, this was, this was a really good question. Um, and so it kind of caused me to, to think back. As I said earlier, I, I didn't really know what imposter syndrome was, you know, in my, my early, early career. Um, and I, I'd have to say, and I'm glad to hear that Adrian doesn't, isn't experiencing it at this point. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I sort of feel maybe it kind of comes in waves, but um, but yes, I, I do still experience it. And I think in, in the way it's, it's increased, uh, it's kind of similar. I think what Christina said about like, you get this promotion. I recently got a promotion when I moved to the census bureau and, uh, you know, people kept saying really fantastic things about, about me. And I kept thinking, um, <laughs> I don't feel like this is true. And like, okay, I'm, I'm there, the bar so high, I'm going to fail, absolutely fail. Uh, so, so I do feel like it's at least recently that it's, that it's increased. Um, and, you know, I, I have received, you know, honors and kind comments and promotions, and I'm, I'm grateful for all of them, but 
I really do have a hard time believing um, the kind words that people say, and I don't feel like I'm worthy um, of the honors. Uh, and so maybe it can like increase a little bit more as you uh, advance and, and get promotions, maybe because, um, like I said, there's, it's, it's, uh, you have a higher distance to fall or fail or something, uh, at least in my mind. Um, and maybe it's just that I'm more aware of um, sort of the, the feelings or the thoughts associated with, with imposter syndrome. Um, but uh, I have to say, I do think I've kind of gotten used to those feelings and the thoughts associated with it. So I try not to let them stop me from uh, you know, attempting new things or, or taking on new challenges. So I would encourage people that even if, if you do have these feelings, don't let, don't let the, those feelings or the fear um, stop you. Yeah, it's clear that this imposter syndrome impacts people in, in different ways. Uh, Adrian, how has this looked at, like in your own career as you've progressed? Yeah, so so first I wanna I wanna go back and just clarify something that I said earlier, right? So I, I'm not experiencing imposter syndrome at this moment, but it doesn't mean that I'm not subject to experiencing it in the moments that are close in close proximity, <laughs> right? So if we're looking at today, today is what Tuesday, uh, you know, January seventeenth. I feel fine. <laughs> But if you ask me this again in a month, you know, I may be, you know, battling this again, right, with some new responsibility or some new expectation that may be placed on my plate. Um, you know, but in, gen in general, I would say that it has decreased over time. And I think that is in part driven by the fact that I've had a few transitions in my career. Um so again, I talked about my military service. You know, at some point I ended up in graduate school and I think graduate school is where I suffered this the most, right? But, you know, coming from that, I spent some time at SAS um, in, the, in the tech space. Um, I left there because I really wanted to get into clinical trials. And my first thought was at a contract research organization. At the time it was called Quintiles. Now it's called IQVIA. Uh, from there, I went to Duke, and now I'm in an academic environment, right? And, you know, if, if you're not familiar with what it's like to, to teach and do research in an academic environment, ego is currency. So you have a lot of high-powered egos around you, and it's easy to feel inadequate in those spaces, right? Uh, and from there, I made a transition into the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but the, the good thing about the, the transition is, that I've experienced as I've sort of found my passion um, is that there has been a consistency of feedback at each one of those stops, right? And so that consistency of feedback across so many different stops in my journey um, serves to, to, to help me believe more in myself today. And, uh, and, and that's not to say that I think that I am better than sliced bread, I don't, but I don't think that many people would be dishonest with me along the way. <laughs> and um, and so I do believe today that I am where I'm supposed to be. Um, and I aspire to continue to have impact and to help others as well. Um, but I will say this, with each new level of responsibility, it is very natural to worry about your level of preparedness. That is so natural, right? Um, you know, each step up the ladder um, brings with it additional challenges or new challenges, as it were. 
And, and those challenges require us to grow in order to be successful. So it's easy to, to, to be impacted by the imposter syndrome early on um, in some new role. Uh, but I've just learned to, to sort of reframe and to remind myself that growth is expected. And it's hard to grow in a space where there is no opportunity to grow. And often that opportunity to grow feels um, like anxiety. It feels like you're overwhelmed. It feels like you're not in the right position. It feels like, you know, the ground isn't firm underneath you. <laughs> right? It feels like, oh my goodness, I've taken on more than, than I can bear. But, uh, but no, those are just opportunities to grow and to continue to evolve into your best self. So. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Adrian. And, you know, I think it's definitely reassuring to know that, of course, you know, when you're stepping into a new role or when you have new responsibilities, there are going to be, you know, some questions because it's all new. And when you were talking, you reminded me of a women's leadership conference that I attended where they say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And essentially, you know, as you grow, as you take on more challenges, they are going to be, you're not, it's not going to be comfortable because you're doing things you haven't done before, uh, which means that you are expanding your knowledge, you're expanding your skill set. And I think it's important for us as we step into these new roles and responsibilities to say, it's okay that I have some questions, but not to take it to such a degree where I'm doubting myself consistently, but just say, you know, it's a normal part of the growth process to, to feel a little bit of doubt at times. With that being said, Adrian, how have you looked to address imposter syndrome in your own career? Um, again, I think that is a, a, a very, very good question. And, you know, I've sort of shared some insights along the way, but um, I think if I were to put together a recipe <laughs> that others could, could you know, whip up at home, um, I really take a three-part approach to addressing imposter syndrome, right? And, uh, and the first part of that approach is really internal. Um, and so I think I've mentioned this in other spaces when I've had a chance to speak, but I'm a Christian. And so I lean very heavily on my faith. Um, and I just believe according to my faith system, I know others have different faith systems, you know, but according to my faith system, I believe that my steps have been ordered by um, God and that I wouldn't be here if I was not supposed to be here. Right. And so I, I encourage those who have a spiritual belief system to lean on that system, especially those parts of your belief system that remind you of the best of you, right? We have so many things in our lives, you know, that, that are in, in some ways trying to remind us of the worst parts of ourselves or the, the places where we don't believe in ourselves. And if you do have some system that you can lean on, you know, some faith system, some spiritual system that reminds you of just how wonderful you are, I think that goes a long way to helping you to get beyond the imposter syndrome. Um, the second part of this approach is really more external. Um, and I have to be careful here because I don't do this in, 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 in a spirit of comparison, right? So um, I pay attention to the contribution of my peers 
And then I tried to evaluate in a very fair and balanced manner, you know, my contributions just to make sure that I'm on par, right? So if if my peers are able to do this, well, am I able to confidently do that as well? And if not, then what tools do I need to be able to perform at that level, right? And so those are things you can do without someone having to coach you to do that. You can just be very observant. You know, I think Amy mentioned before, uh, when I was at Lilly, you know, we would have these seminars and uh, and I would listen to some of the questions that people would ask. And uh, and I would be thinking in my seat, like, man, I had that same question. I just, I was too timid to ask because I thought it was a dumb question. <laughs> and that gave me the confidence to say, no, you can ask your question. It's not a crazy question. It's a valid question. And, you know, put it on the table and let's see, you know, where the conversation goes. Um, so I pay very close attention to my peers and I try to use that as sort of a benchmark for where I think I should be in my career as well. <clears throat> and then the third part of this approach is, is really a bit internal and also a bit external. Um, a moment ago, we were talking about advancement, right? And, and maybe taking on new levels of responsibility. Um, you know, I believe that advancement is in part determined by what you have produced and it, it is also in part determined by your potential. Um, in the pharmaceutical industry, it's probably more weighted towards what you've produced <laughs> than what your potential is. Um, you know, but I do believe that equation has those two components to it. And you know, if we're going to be honest, you know, there are other things that are included in that equation. But for now, let's just focus on those two components, right? Um, and I think the weights that are placed on each of those two components differs across roles. And unfortunately, it differs by demographic group as well, right? We, we all know that. Um, and, and the other unfortunate truth is that it's also prob probably determined by someone other than yourself. You don't get to decide what those weights are on each of those things, right? What I've produced and also my potential. Um, but I do believe that what you can do, right? Even though you don't get to determine those weights, you can learn to pay attention to what you are producing and then you can reflect on how well those things you've produced have prepared you for the next level of leadership and responsibility. For example, I believe in seeking opportunities that stretch me up, not just stretch me horizontally, right? Am I demonstrating that I can do more of what I've already demonstrated that I can do or am I seeking out new opportunities that are gonna stretch me upward? And because I am so intentional about doing that, I believe that at some point when I get to the to the place where a promotion or some new responsibility um, may be offered to me, I'm prepared for it because I've been very intentional about growing vertically, not just expanding what I can carry horizontally. And so those, those are like the three things I do to sort of battle imposter syndrome. Certainly if you get to a position and you're not prepared for those responsibilities, you're gonna struggle with imposter syndrome, right? But if you've been very proactive and sort of guiding your career, thinking about what's expected at the next level and making sure you have an opportunity to produce things now that can have impact at that next level in the future, then when you get there, I think that level of preparation will help you to, um, to sort of mitigate some of the, the negative effects of the imposter syndrome. I love this recipe. I specifically appreciate the visualization of the longitudinal growth or the horizontal growth and the vertical growth. 
and I, I think it is important, like you said, to benchmark um, relative to your peers. And of course, that can be a slippery slope. And if you're not ready to benchmark to your to your peers because it makes you feel these imposter syndrome symptoms a bit more than um, you know having your own understanding of your capabilities and and benchmarking appropriately is really important. And I think one of the things with this internal and external piece um, that you mentioned is also gaining feedback. You know, we we can benchmark and we can assess our our growth and our advancement through things like promotions, but those are going to be maybe more few and far between. So gaining feedback is is also another really great way to um, make sure what you're thinking and what you're feeling is it is more aligned with reality. Um, drawing strength from your network is important, and I, I think it can help us in so many ways. So I'm also wondering how you have approached these conversations about dealing with imposter syndrome with your mentors or your trusted colleagues. Yeah, so it, it goes back to what you just mentioned, right? This idea of feedback. And, you know, one of the, one of the best gifts you can give yourself is to develop a mindset that is welcoming of feedback, right? I'm grown to, to really believe that feedback is a gift. Constructive criticism is a gift. Um, and if you are a person who is not able to receive that feedback, um, then not only will you not be able to receive when people are telling you that you're doing well, but you won't be able to receive when they're telling you how to do well, which can go a long way to helping you to overcome the imposter syndrome, right? Um, if you're not comfortable asking for direct feedback, um, you can always reframe the question and maybe ask questions about the expectations of your role or the level of contribution that you should have um, in that current role, right? You know, if you're in an individual contributor role, you know, then what is expected of an individual, of an individual contributor at this level? If you are in a people leadership role, then what is expected of people leadership uh, people leaders at this level. Um, and so if you're not comfortable saying, hey, how can I be better individually? We we'll just say, hey, what's the expectation for everyone who exists in this space? <laughs> and then you try to take the nuggets away from that, right? I certainly have done that in my past. Uh, but if you have a high level of trust with someone who is familiar with the work, or maybe someone who's just familiar with you, right, as a human, um, it's okay. And, and really, there I might say expect it, that you will ask them for feedback. Um, you know, sometimes I like to sort of position the question by saying, hey, I really trust your perspective, right? You know, we've known each other for a while. I've, I've watched you here, I've watched you there. I've learned from you and I really trust your perspective. Um, and I really wanna be my best self in this area. Um, what are some things that I'm doing well? And what are some areas that I can improve? And it's interesting that when you ask those types of sincere questions to people, they tend to respond to you in, in a very gentle way, uh, but also in a very truthful way. And, um, and I, again, I think it goes back exactly to what you teed up. It's all about finding the best way to solicit feedback from the people you trust. And, and I'll also say this too. I've also learned to get feedback from people maybe even those people that I don't have a strong trusting relationship. I think all feedback is a gift, right? 
there's an old saying that I've heard a long time ago, and, and I'm a country boy from Southern Virginia, so forgive me uh, when I say this, but there's an old saying that says, hey, eat the fish and leave the bones, right? It may not be packaged in the way that you would prefer, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have some value to you. And, uh, and so learning how to take your emotions out of it and just hear the, the feedback and try to take from it what you can to help you on your journey is very, very helpful in overcoming the uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Adrian and Wendy. Have you had discussions with your mentors, mentees, or same level colleagues? Um, yeah, and I, I, I wanted some, I mean, a lot of things that everybody has been saying, and especially Adrian, have really resonated with me. And I, I've learned a lot from, from this discussion. Uh, and, you know, one thing I think what's really important that Adrian said was that you're, you're sincerely asking for the feedback and you want both, you know, positive things and negative things, well, and constructive criticism, I'll say, <laughs> rather than negative things. But um, rather than, because I think then that helps with, with the feelings of, well, I don't believe the, 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 you know, the wonderful comments, the high, high um, words that people are saying. Whereas if you have this sincere relationship with somebody and you're truly trying to get feedback and you kind of get the positive and the, the criticism, then, then I think the, like the symptoms or the mindset of the imposter syndrome saying, well, I don't believe any of the, this, you know, kind of gets us past that. Uh, so I really, I really like what, um, you know, what, what everybody's suggesting. Uh, I have, I have, uh, now that I'm at the U S census bureau, I've been doing more formal mentoring. Uh, and, and I haven't, you know, explicitly talked about imposter syndrome with them. You know, I, I have shared about, you know, my experiences, uh, you know, as it relates to their goals and, you know, where they are at in their career. Um, and, you know, of course my thoughts and feelings. So some of the things that relate to imposter syndrome sort of come out in, in that respect, but, or in that way, but I haven't really talked explicitly about it, but I think it would, it's a really good topic to, to, you know, talk about and be very um, intentional about the, the um, conversation, because I, I think if we realize that others feel the same way or have these similar issues or feelings, then, uh, you know, it helps us because then we're, we're not thinking, well, I'm alone in this, <laughs> in these feelings, which just kind of makes everything, everything worse. So, so yeah, I'm going to add this to my, um, my discussions with, with, uh, with mentees. And I don't know that I've really talked much about this with, I guess maybe with my peer mentors, I have, uh, you know, a, a bit about it, but, but not any, you know, where I've had another sort of formal, you know, mentor-mentee relationship. Uh, so, yeah, but I'm going to add this to uh, to my schedule, I guess. <laughs> this is great. It's always good to have an impact. And clearly, uh, you are our one identified impact if we're counting. 
Um, and while we wrap up, I was wondering if, uh, Wendy, you may share any final advice or encouraging words for anyone who has imposter syndrome or that's listening to the podcast in hopes to speak with their mentors or, or mentees. I just have two things to offer. Um, one is don't compare yourself to others. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, Adrian mentioned that a little bit about kind of doing a, uh, maybe sort of like a sanity check or with, with, you know, what your, how your peers are doing, but I'm, so I'm not talking about that, but just to kind of say, well, you know, they, you know, they're at this point in my life. Why, why haven't I done it this way? Or, you know, why haven't I achieved this? Um, because I think if we do that, we, uh, it's, I mean, it's just difficult to, to compare yourself with somebody else and make judgments like that. And we often, if we have imposter syndrome, we um, judge ourselves as lacking. Uh, so I think it just makes things worse. And secondly, uh, be kind to yourself. Uh, I mentioned that I, I often chastise myself mentally saying, you know, kind of rather un, having rather unkind thoughts in my head that I'm sort of mentally saying to, to me. Uh, and I have to, I've been trying to stop that negative thinking uh, and just kind of remind myself or ask myself, would you talk to somebody else that way? <laughs> or would you be, you know, encouraging and uplifting? Yes, I would be encouraging and uplifting. And I wouldn't talk to somebody else the way, you know, sometimes I mentally talk to myself, to talk to me. So uh, try not to, uh, not to do that. Just have more um, positive thinking than negative thinking. I love that advice. Adrian, how about you? Yeah, so I, I think there are three things that come to mind that you know I would like to leave with the uh, the listeners. One, just know that you write your own story and you are exactly where you're supposed to be in this season. Even if you are in a season where you feel frustrated, where you feel like it is time to take the next step, there's something that you are still gaining from this season that is going to be instrumental in helping you to be successful at the next level. So own it. You write your story and you are exactly where you're supposed to be. The second thing is, you know, growth is necessary and it's expected, right? It's necessary and it, it is expected. And so please don't confuse your need to grow with inadequacy. No one knows it all at this stage in their career. No one is supposed to know it all at this stage in their career. And the fact that you have more yet to learn does not mean that you are somehow inadequate. And then really the third thing that I think um, I like to leave with the, the listeners today is, you know, what you bring to the table today is needed for tomorrow's success, right? Don't underestimate what you bring to the table. There's something about the way you think. There's something about the way you process information. There's something about your code of ethics, your values, the way you see the world, your experiences. There is something about what you bring to the table today that is necessary for you, for your company, for your organization, for your institute, your institution. There's something you bring that is necessary for someone else's success. And I think as long as you can root yourself in those three realities, really, um, it'll help you to overcome the imposter syndrome. Wow. Thank you so much, Adrian and Wendy, for your transparency during this podcast and for your words of encouragement. I know I'm leaving more encouraged and more motivated. So 
we just truly appreciate you all sharing with us today. And before we conclude the podcast, we would like to ask if you all have any suggestions for topics or guests for our future podcasts. Well, I'll I'll jump in. Um, And I guess before I jump in, I I would also like to say, again, thank you for um, having this. And I've learned a lot from from everybody, uh, especially Adrian. Thank you. I guess my one thought, given we've been talking about mentoring, uh, and Christine, I think it was at the JSM, I guess, this past year, where we had the mentoring panel, and I realized there about peer mentors, and I never had thought about peer mentoring, that 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 was even there. (laughs) And I realized uh, how, how important that is, and especially given our discussion today. So maybe something on, you know, being a peer mentor, uh, you know, how, the, how, what that is, how it could help, uh, et cetera, might be, might be a good topic. That's a great idea. Adrian, anything for us? Yeah. So similar to Wendy, um, thank you all for the invitation to be a part of today's conversation. Um, and, and I'm very hopeful that um, someone benefits from our discussion, um, you, you know, what comes to mind um, to me is those persons, well, I won't say is, but I guess I say all those persons in our community that have figured out how to um, how to balance career and family, right? And so, you know, I'm a little bit older now. I know I don't look that old, but I'm a little older. And so my children are all adults, <laughs> but I couldn't imagine having to, to try to balance, you know, some of the pressures of this corporate environment that I'm in with, um, you know, having young children and raising children. And so, and I know so many people who are going through that, right? And you shouldn't have to put your family on hold for your career and you shouldn't have to put your career on hold for your family. And so for some of those folks who have done it very well, you know, I would love to hear a conversation around how they how they work that out, right? And, uh, and I think, that could be very beneficial to so many of our listeners. Um, I think about a young man um, with whom I work here at BMS. You know, he, he'll be going on paternity leave soon, and he's just an outstanding team member. Um, and I know he's thinking about how he's going to balance these things. I think about some of the people that I've worked with on the American uh, Statistical Association's Committee of Minorities and Statistics, and how they sort of managed to be very successful in their careers, but they're also you know, balancing, you know, raising young families. And, uh, and I've just been so impressed by it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I would love to hear a conversation on that because I think so many people are living through that experience um, that walking away with some best practices or things to think about could be very helpful and beneficial. Adrian, I think that's a fantastic idea and probably one that Christina and I will very selfishly explore as uh, young mothers of, of young children. I think it's such an important question and probably better that we ask it now before we get ourselves so in over our heads that in a couple of years, we're asking ourselves where time went. Uh, because that happens so frequently. But both of those suggestions, peer mentoring, I have not heard a good podcast on peer peer mentoring. And and in fact, I don't hear much of it uh, talked about in our community. So I think that's a a great idea. And again, to conclude, I 
so appreciate your transparency and your willingness to talk about some of our weaknesses, some of our um, discomfort that we experience on a day-to-day basis. And I think that it will have an impact on our fellow statisticians. So again, thank you. And I, I look forward to running into you all at ASA events and, you know, just as we come across each other in our, our statistical lives. So thank you again. Thank you as well. You're very welcome. Yeah. Thanks everybody. I, I really, truly enjoyed it. Thanks.